Well, we've been in our series on having that cry, give me Jesus. And you know, it's a little bit of a different kind of series because each week I think, well, should I wrap it up now? <laughs> you know, it's not, it's kind of a mix of different thoughts. Um, but then each week I get a different thought about Christ and making him our our heart's cry and our heart's desire. Um, and, and this week I just got this thought on maturity because really that's what Christ's life speaks of, of coming to that place of maturity, being a mature son with the Father. And, you know, have you ever kind of wondered about Christ and, you know, his life on earth, what it must have been like, you know, like for one of his brothers, <laughs> to be one of his brothers and to see him and interact and, um, you know, what it must have been like as a child and how he related to others. You know, I imagine that he had a somewhat normal, you know, that he wasn't, they didn't see he was God from, you know, age two and up, but, but yet there's still, I imagine, even though he had some normal childhood experiences, I think we can discern from scripture that there was a difference on his life. There was a singular focus on him and in him, even as a young boy, and we read that in Luke 2, verse 46, how his, you know, his parents went to Jerusalem and brought him, and then they traveled home, and they thought he was with the, the group, and he wasn't. And um, so they're searching for him. And it says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening uh, and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so here's Jesus, 12 years old. And he's with the wise men and the scholars, and they're all amazed as they interact with him. They're amazed at his maturity, right? It, it wasn't that here was a human being that has wisdom and understanding coming from him. It was that here was a 12-year-old that has wisdom and understanding coming from him, right? So they were amazed at his at the wisdom and maturity. But it's really a picture of, of being revealed of a boy who focused on his father and on his kingdom. And so it's kind of an example to us, you know, even though that that was Christ, but yet he's an example to us that no matter our spiritual age, we might be young in Christ or old, so to speak. You know, we might have gotten saved last year or last century. But Jesus shows us his focus was on his father's kingdom, his father's business. And if our focus is on the kingdom of God, then it will bring us into a wisdom and maturity that we haven't known before. Jesus responded to his parents when they came to him and they were kind of a little, you know, upset and thinking, why have you done this to us? We've been searching for you frantically. You can imagine what parents are like, you know, what, that, what they would be like for three days not knowing where he is. And he gave a, Kind of a nonchalant answer in that sense. His parents found him, verse 48. Uh, they were astonished and said, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching in great distress. And he said to him, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Or as the King James says, I must be about my father's business. That was his focus, his father's house, his father's business. And my point in considering this is that if our cry is to become, give me Jesus, 
then this transformation of our focus has to take place in us, that our focus is upon Christ and his kingdom and the Father and so forth, and right, of maturity, of that astounding maturity that was upon Christ. He wants to put that in our lives, you know, not that we're, you know, we want to astound people with our maturity, but that the, the work of the kingdom of God can be astounding in our hearts. And that was really, that maturity was an outflowing of his focus upon his Father and his Father's kingdom. So this is really a classic story, a coming-of-age story, so to speak, of, of a boy who became mature and wise and, came in, and became a, the son of man, so to speak, from childish to mature. I don't know if you'd ever call Jesus childish, but he was a child. But, you know, that's what God wants to accomplish in our lives. He wants to bring us to that place where we, are, we were born into the kingdom as spiritual children, but then he brings us to that place of maturity, as John says, from little children to young men or young women, but then fathers and mothers in Christ. Thankfully, it can go a bit quicker. It's not going to take 20 years, so to speak, or it doesn't have to anyway. Some, sometimes it takes people longer than that <laughs> to get there. But it's that transformation of maturity that God wants to do. It's like the Apostle Paul shares in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's really the key. It's the putting away of the things that will keep us from maturity. God has all these things he wants to give to us, but, you know, there's certain things you don't give to a child, right? You know, and you can all think of things that like, okay, there's a long list of things I would not entrust for my child to, to do. One of them's like your car, right? You wouldn't, it's a certain age that you trust them behind the wheel, you know, you, you might let them drive a little bit. I remember being on my father's knee and he, let, he would let me put my hands on the wheel, yet he was really holding it. You know, I thought I was driving, but I wasn't. I, I had to mature a little bit. But you see, there's, there's things that prevent us from coming into that, you could say, childish things, things that lie in our hearts. You know, we, we are called to love God with all of our hearts, but there's things in us that prevent us from coming into the fullness of that love. And so they have to be put away. And one of the primary ways that this takes place in the heart of a believer is through circumcision, through the removal of those things in our heart and in our spirit. You know, the Lord told Abraham that circumcision would be a sign of the covenant between God and his people. In Genesis 17 and verse 10, I'm going to read this from the NIV. It says, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, you are to undergo circumcision. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and between you. And so the divine covenant between God and Israel, it was based on the removal of, of natural flesh right, in the Old Testament. But as New Testament believers, we know that the sign is not on the outward. In fact, there is no outward sign 
right? I mean, as Christians, maybe you can kind of guess someone's a Christian. They have a little fish symbol on their bumper. They're, you know, you can tell they might be a Christian, but there's nothing really outward. The true sign of a believer takes place within. It takes place in the heart. Paul also said in Romans 2 and 28, it says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, or you could say a true child of God, which is one inwardly. And that circumcision that is of the heart and in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. We are a true child of God when the sign of the covenant takes place within us. And you could say a true child of God in the same sense as right, the, the son of glory or the daughter of glory, those who come to maturity in Christ. It's that circumcision that takes place that brings us to that place of maturity. That kind of gives us a sense of urgency right, to examine ourselves. Say, Lord, do like cause that sign of your covenant to take place in my heart. Because we can be saved, we can be baptized, we can be walking in God's pathway for us and going to church and you know su- su- such things, just like Israel was following God in the wilderness, but you know a whole generation was uncircumcised in the desert and they died there because they didn't qualify to enter in. That's scary. Israel's problem was that Egypt, even though they were out of Egypt, their heart was still in there and it had a hold on their heart. It had, it was, you know, like strings tied to their heart and they were always looking back, always tempted, always kind of connected to that. It wasn't until the new generation came, they crossed over Jordan, they came to Gilgal and they were circumcised and something took place in them because they came into the land and were circumcised. But something was done in them as a nation because they no longer look back to Egypt. They look forward to the, to the promised land and what God had for them. They were set free. And God wants to do that so much in us to set us free and remove those things that will keep us and prevent us from coming in to our inheritance, coming into maturity, coming into the fullness of what he wants to do in our life. There's great power in circumcision, spiritual circumcision. There's no power in in the natural as Paul was talking about, right? You can be a person and get circumcised, but it has no power. But when we're circumcised in heart. In Joshua 5 and verse 8, it talks about this experience Israel had going into the land and being circumcised. and And it says, It came to pass, they were done circumcising all the people. They abode in their place in the camp until they were whole. The Lord said to Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore, the name is is called Gilgal to this day. The The reproach of Egypt was rolled off of them. That was like a burden on them. And God removed the ties to that and it and rolled it away. And so spiritual circumcision causes the burden of, of that connection of our, between our nature and the world and, and you know, all of those things that tie to Egypt to be cut and so that that can roll off and we're set free. For Israel, 
It was the burden of Egypt for us. It's the draw of the world and the flesh and so forth, what the world offers us. But the, the world's way of thinking, the world's way of doing things, God wants to deliver us from that and roll that off of us. When we're circumcised, the power of sin is broken within us. Where once we yielded to sin, we no longer are constrained and compelled to do those things. Right? Paul talked about that, how sometimes, you know, what he didn't want to do, he did, because he was compelled to do that. And what he didn't want, wait, what did I, I said, what he didn't want to do, he did. But what he wanted to do, he didn't do. But thanks be to God who causes us to triumph, but through circumcision, through the cutting away, the deliverance from, of that battle within us. And it enables us to do, well, I should say what we want to do, but really what God wants us to do. It sets us free. Now, coming back to that thought of Paul where he was talking about, you know, when I'm coming into manhood or adulthood, so to speak, he said he put away childish things. I was just thinking about the verse in Proverbs, I think kind of illuminates this thought of putting away um, and this is Solomon writing in, in Proverbs, but I think perhaps reflecting the teachings of his father, David, because we know Solomon gave himself to all sorts of things. He didn't hold back. But, uh, and so I, to me, this doesn't really reflect Solomon's cry here. But in Proverbs 30, verse 8, it says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Really, that's the thought of, of heart circumcision. It just says, Lord, remove anything that will hinder me on my journey. Just, Lord, take it away. Take away vanity. Take away empty things. Take away lies. Lord, don't let me believe something that's not true. Don't give me poverty so that I'm just thinking about what I don't have. Don't give me riches so that I'm only thinking about what I have. Just feed me with things that will aid me in following you. You know, that's a heart that is circumcised or is on its way to being circumcised. A heart set free from the shackles of Egypt and what it offers and what it's telling us to do. And so God is offering us freely to come unto him and experience that heart circumcision. Now, I want to cover just something else briefly that is not often mentioned regarding circumcision. And because there's another aspect that's really important, it kind of deals with it because, you know, right, the heart is, it's hard, it's hard to access our heart or examine it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's within us. Uh, but there's another aspect that's very real to us that we can focus on. And it can be seen in Stephen's address to the crowd that was before him accusing him. And, and he, they allowed him to speak. And he gave a rather lengthy sermon to them. And they, they let him you know, speak up to a point. But in that sermon, he started just talking about the history of Israel and the, all, what God did in them and how God led them to new places. And he talked about um, Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David. And he brought out how they responded to new things that God wanted to do 
in them and through them and, and in the nation. And so Stephen was trying to show them, show the people how they were not responding, how they were resisting what Christ wanted, what he had done and what he wanted to do and what he was trying to do. And, you know, it's funny how he tells the story and then he just switches. And this is where he switches to Acts 7 and verse 51. He said, you stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ear. You always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do you. All right. And so he's, he's talking to right, a group who was resisting what the Holy Spirit wanted to do, what Jesus did for them. And so he was re- addressing these religious Jews. They were circumcised in flesh, but not in heart. And it was, it was a part of why they were resisting the Lord. But notice, it also says they were in, uncircumcised in heart and in their ears uncircumcised in their ears. Obviously, that's metaphorical. You can't really be circumcised in your natural ear, but in your spiritual ear. There's a circumcision that has to take place. And and so there's an aspect of responding to God that to be able to hear his voice and respond to him, we have to have a circumcision of our ear to hear him. You know, this has really been one of Israel's troubles for a long time their lack of ability to hear him when he was speaking. Really, it's a type of our trouble as well. In Jeremiah 6 and verse 10, it says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised. They cannot hear. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Lord, keep us from being like that. The Lord is asking them a question or asking a question. To whom shall I speak? Who will I give warnings to? I've tried to speak to my people, but because their ear is uncircumcised, they can't listen. And in fact, it's even worse than that. When I speak to them, it's like the words that I speak are a reproach. They have no delight in my words. In fact, they reject it. They don't. They don't want to hear it. They only want to hear what they want to hear. I'll tell you what, that puts the fear of God in me. Because it's the thought that we can have an issue with our ear that would keep us from hearing and responding to his voice and, and actually in the reverse that we would reject his voice. And that description that when God spoke to Israel, instead of a blessing, it was a reproach unto them and they had no delight God keep us from ever coming to that state. We need a circumcised ear. You know, one of my favorite uh, prophetic pictures uh, of the prophecy of Christ when he was on earth is in Isaiah chapter 50. And it was describing how he had his, that relationship with his heavenly father and probably what it was like as he was praying every day and meditating and seeking his father, Isaiah 50 and verse four, it says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. I wasn't rebellious. I didn't turn back. 
And so it describes Christ as speaking words in season to those who were weary. And we know he spoke a lot of words in season. It's recorded for us in the scriptures. But it was because the father awoke him morning by morning and he heard. He heard him. In fact, it says he had an ear of the learned. He became quite skillful in hearing. One translation puts it this way. In the morning, he wakens my ear that I hear him as a master. Christ became a master at hearing the voice of his father and responding to that. Right. And, you know, I think that's a worthy goal, Lord. Or other translations put it, the ear of a disciple. Lord, I want to have an ear of a disciple. That and, and the significance of a disciple is they would, basically in Jewish culture, a disciple, it wasn't just one who sat in a classroom and received teaching. They actually followed the master. They observed his everything he did. They observed how he ate, how he interacted with people, how he talked, how he rested. They observed his whole life and and replicated that in their own life. And so that's kind of significant when it says, I, I have an ear of a disciple. I have an ear that wants to just soak in everything and receive every little thing from you. But notice something that it says. It says, he heard his voice and he was not rebellious and did not turn back. You know, that's really the key to hearing the voice of the Lord. Sometimes in the back of my mind, I'll be praying, Lord, would you speak to me? Lord, I want to hear your voice. And, and at the back of my mind, I'm like, I hope I like what he says. <laughs> I hope he says something that I, I'm going to be able to receive, right? Because we know, we don't trust ourselves. He's, he's spoken things that were like, oh, Lord, that's hard to do or that's hard to receive. Have you ever asked the Lord something and he replies back something you didn't really want to hear? Reminds me of the story of Jonah, right? God spoke to Jonah one day and to go into a direction of a certain city and minister in that city. And when Jonah heard that, he went in the opposite direction, right? Because God told him to go to Nineveh and to preach to them. And he didn't want to do that because that city and that empire had, had done wrong to Israel and had been cruel to them. And he knew that if he went and preached, God would be merciful and grant repentance and, and so forth. Really, it was just a stay of reprieve because God destroyed them later on and judged them. But he went the other way because in his heart was something that was resisting the voice of the Lord. And of course, and even when he came, he finally surrendered in the belly of the whale. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. And he went to that city and he preached. And they repented in sackcloth and ashes. They repented as good as you can see anyone repent in history, right? They even clothed their animals with sackcloth. They meant it. And what was Jonah's response? Lord, I knew you would do that. I knew you were merciful and good and, and you would, you know, you'd reserve judgment. There was something in Jonah's heart and in his ear that needed to be circumcised. That caused him to run from that word. Lord, we need a circumcised ear so that when you speak, I'll be able to receive it. It doesn't mean we necessarily receive it 
you know, easily. It's not always easy to, to surrender and yield to what God wants, but yet we're able to do it by God's grace because our ear has been circumcised. But there's great power in that. I was just thinking of the story Pastor Bailey shared, how he was in a nation ministering, and it was kind of in a revival-type atmosphere. And one night, two angels came before him. You probably remember this story if you've read any of his books. It's in several of them. And one, one angel, well, they both have swords. One angel had a sword, and on that sword was called circumcision, was written circumcision. And God was indicating he wanted to do a cleansing work in that people and in that nation. The second angel had a sword as well, but on that sword was written enforcer. And God spoke to, spoke to him and he said, I've come to circumcise my people. Those who allow me to do so shall enter into my further blessings for their life. But then he said this, he said, those who refuse to allow me to separate them from their sins, then I will send another angel who will enforce my will. I'll send the enforcer. He always sends the circumciser first to do that work. Of course, and then Pastor really shared that in the service as, as he was preaching, and he said there was just quite a response as they yielded to, to the work that God wanted to do in them. But then he shared that some didn't yield. And he shared how there, there had been one person who had been warned about his tendency to speak too much. And so what happened? He fell off his motorcycle right onto his mouth. Well, God enforced, enforced, <laughs> reinforced his warning to him. Another one died, just fell over dead. But you know, God wants to, to come. And in reality, he wants to come as the great physician, right? That word's that circumcision really implies, right, when you're saying heart circumcision, there's only one way you can work with the heart and the patient still lives, right? That's surgery, which is a very delicate thing. I mean, even though he saw it in vision written on a sword, right? No surgeon ever uses a sword to <laughs> do heart surgery. He uses a, a delicate scalpel to remove what needs to be done taken away. And, you know, God wants to come as the great physician and work in our hearts and remove the things that hinder us from coming to the fullness of his blessing, as he spoke to Pastor Bailey, the fullness of maturity, as Paul was talking about. But if that doesn't work, cue the enforcer. God help us. You know, God sent so many prophets to Israel. And I was, I always think about that when he, he, he always includes in that rising up early. He didn't just send prophets to speak to them. He sent prophets and like to like almost verify the message. They rose up early and came to them. It's almost like when the people got up and came out of their houses, there were the prophets right there speaking the word of the Lord. And he sent prophet after prophet, but Israel didn't listen. And so because they wouldn't listen to that, instead he sent the Babylonians who God, he actually called them the hammer of the whole earth. 
And God used them to break up the nations and to work in Israel. And it was a very unfortunate work. He broke them up. Of course, then he broke up Babylon by, with the Persians. But there's that, that thought of circumcision. Lord, come and do whatever it ta- you have to do in me, in my heart, in my ear, so I can respond to you. But as it, as it says in Hebrews 6 and verse 9, it says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. You know, God's plan with us, for us, is to set us free through circumcision, through heart circumcision, because he wants to bring us into the wisdom and maturity of his plan for our life, a wisdom and maturity that we haven't known before. He wants to enable us to put away childish things that will hinder us in our walk, to come into the deep things of God, to roll away the reproach of Egypt, the tug and the pull of the things that would pull us off, to open our ear, to dig it out, as that word also means in the Hebrew, and to learn to have an ear of the learned, of the disciple, of the master, so that the cry, give me Jesus, would truly be fulfilled in our lives. Lord, we just look to you today. Lord, we want to respond to you. And Lord, we want to be, Lord, those who hear your voice and can yield to you. Lord, we recognize there's things in our lives that oftentimes that can hinder us and prevent your work taking place. Oh God, would you do that work within us? Oh God, we just come to you now and we invite you to work in our lives. Circumcise our hearts, we pray. Lead us in your way, we ask. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.